Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to another episode of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show with your co hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. A weekly look at the 2021 Boston Red Sox. Thanks for joining us. We urge you to let your friends know about the podcast, that it's available where podcasts are available everywhere, on Spotify, on Apple, wherever you consume your podcasts. Rate and review us if you would, and please spread the word. We are pleased to welcome as a guest on episode 12 of This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show, Chief Baseball Officer of the Red Sox, Chaim Bloom, and it's particularly a busy time of year for all baseball executives, so we thank Chaim for taking a few minutes to join us this afternoon. Uh, Chaim, uh, thanks for doing that. Uh, Welcome, and let's start with the fact that uh, with the trading deadline about a week and a half away, um, you find yourself, and so do the Red Sox, in a very different spot than you were at the deadline, which was at a different time last month, uh, last year, because of uh, the, the uh, short schedule. But last year, you were kind of in sell mode. This year, um, at least the intent, I think, is probably to buy or at least try to add. How different the dynamic is that time from being in a position to move some assets because you're not in contention to a year in which you're trying to get better and add talent? Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me and thanks for the warm welcome. It's, it's great to be on with you guys. Um, I think you summed it up. It's, it's so much more fun to be in this position. I, I think last year where we were, um, we had an opportunity to move the organization forward. Uh, it was clear to us where we were and what that meant and what we needed to do. Uh, but it's no fun to be in that position. This may be a little more complicated, but it's, it's a lot more fun. It's, it's where we want to be. So that we've gotten here through uh, the hard work and positive contributions of a lot of different people. Um, and now we should have an exciting week and a half ahead of us. I'm great to have you with us. Uh, this is Steve Lyons. Uh, you know, when you, when you look at what this organization wants to do, you've always been a guy who's really paid attention to the minor league system. You want to build from within, and yet you're in a position where if you can make a move to win a championship this year because you have an out, absolutely outstanding team, uh, people are going to want to pry away your talent in the minor leagues from you. What's the organizational philosophy going in? Yeah, I think – that's true. And to the extent that, that, that we get hit on those guys, it's, it, it's a credit to the organization, credit to them for putting themselves on the map. Um, I, I think we just need to stay true to the, the goal that we've outlined here for the last year and a half, which is we're trying to deliver championship caliber baseball to Red Sox fans every year. That's obviously a lofty goal. Uh, it's not easy to accomplish, but if we mean that then we have to act like it so this year obviously is part of that and to the extent we have a chance to to move the needle on that and and make ourselves more likely to win a championship we should and we should be looking into into those opportunities we just need to make sure we're not doing it in a way that's going to hurt our chances ultimately to win as much as we want if if we improve our chances this year at the price of uh you know really hurting ourselves in every year to come i'm not sure that's really a good trade uh given you know, our objectives and given the biggest goal that we have. 
Yeah, how tough is that balancing act, Heim, when you begin to address the idea of sustainability, which is something that you've talked about a lot? Is it measured by control of the player coming in? In other words, is it easier to do something if it's not purely a rental and you have control of the player going forward past 2021? Is it measured by the quality of the prospects that you have to surrender to get that talent? How, how delicate is that balancing process? Yeah, all those things matter. You know, I don't think you can reduce it uh, to an equation or a number, but I think you have to factor all those things in. It's great to have players who can be under team control for a long time and can be part of this, uh, but talent also matters. Uh, you know, control of a player is not that valuable if the player is not going to be able to help you win. So control, uh, you know, years of team control is not a be all end all, uh, but it, it definitely matters. I mean, it's certainly something that, that we value and should value, I think, both in the players we have and players we might go pursue. Uh, but we also need to make sure we're assessing the talent correctly. At the end of the day, that's what plays on the field. And on top of that, the fit on our roster. Uh, there could be a player who in one situation would be really valuable to a team that given the makeup of our roster might not be as valuable to us or vice versa. So we have to look at all that. That's a lot of the meat of the discussions that we have when we're talking about potential targets. And then if we get deep into conversation with the club, uh, weighing a potential move and whether it makes sense. You know, we've been talking about it on this show. Red Sox fans now are talking about it heavily because the deadline's coming up. Uh, probably without divulging names because that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for you. But what's on your wish list? Well, I, I think there are certain areas where you could look at you know, our club and say this area is more of a need, this area is less of a need. Um, you know, that's obviously the case. But I think one of the things that's been nice about how we've gotten here is it's been through contributions from a lot of people. Obviously, we have, we have uh, superstar players and we have uh, players who are contributors. But uh, for the most part, a lot of why we are where we are is because we've gotten uh, those contributions from all over our roster. So it's nice to be going into a situation where we don't sit here and think we have a gaping hole anywhere on our roster, but it also means that it, it you know, could be harder to, you know, it's, it's not an easy place to, to just pinpoint an upgrade um, and go shop for one specific thing. I think the nice thing is what it means is we should look at any available players and sometimes adding to a strength helps you just as much down the stretch as bolstering a weakness because there's going to be injuries. Uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, peaks and valleys in performance. So the players you come out of the deadline with are the players you have for the whole rest of the way. Uh, that goes for obviously internal players and also the players that, that we might be able to add. So I think we have to look at uh, any available talent and see how it could help us. Um, you know, you never have enough pitching. Obviously, you guys know that. Uh, there's obviously areas of our lineup that are very well entrenched and other areas uh, that where we could improve. But, you know, I don't think we should walk past an opportunity to help ourselves in an area where we're already good, because that can also help you win more games. I mean, you've made some additions internally to the major league roster in the last week, uh, promoting both Tanner Howe and Jaron Duran. You have Chris Sale waiting in the wings, presumably ready to contribute within the next few weeks. To what degree do internal options color your thinking when it when it's time to look for help externally? 
Well, we have to factor it in, obviously, as we look at our roster and we see some of these guys that we have just jumped into the picture here and then anticipating Chris coming back, we have to view those guys as part of the picture. Uh, I don't think it should stop us from looking outside, but I do think as we look at our own depth chart and, and what we have, we need to factor those guys in. But we also need to remember that, you know, some of the reason that, uh, you know, for obviously Chris has not been with us due to injury and there are other things that could happen to other guys that might open up opportunity that he might seem to fill. So it's something you got to factor in. It's something that you have to weigh in, in what you'd be willing to give up for certain players. But, you know, it's not a be all and end all. I think it just puts you in a stronger position to be able to uh, ha have access to more options. And if it creates depth in an area for us, and there's a possibility we could use that depth to help us in an area where we don't have as much depth, that that possibility is interesting too. And it's, it's just nice to have a, a lot of talented players. You know, I love some of the under-the-radar moves you made last year and at the beginning of this season. In a dismal season last year, made some additions to the team that made this club so much better. Guys like Nick Pavetta and the signing of Hunter Renfro and Christian Arroyo off the scrap heap for the most part. Nobody else was interested. You scooped him up, become a, a big part of this ball club. Those are just to name a few. But even more exciting, as Sean alluded to, is, uh, you know, you, you call up, Duran and I like the philosophy and I'm not sure if it's an Alex Cora move or you guys have talked about it a lot of people will say bring a guy like Duran up hit him in the eighth spot protect him don't play him every day and I say if he's ready to play in the big leagues run him out there in the best possible position he can help this team he hit second in the lineup last night he hits a big home run especially going the other way um, it seems to me like you guys are going to throw him in the fire and let him play baseball yeah, there's always a balance, right? You don't want someone to come up here as a savior. And I don't think he has to be because of the production we've gotten, you know, up and down the lineup, both offensively and defensively, uh, you know, from, from a, a variety of players. But at the same time, uh, if he's not ready to help us to win, he shouldn't be here. And I don't know that we're any, anybody in this game is, is smart enough to know exactly when that happens with a player. But we came to the point where we felt that uh, Jaron was going to be ready to help us win and that he was going to be able to grow at at least as fast a pace up here as he was in Worcester. And so that made uh, it made it made sense to us to, to put him in this mix. And if he's here and he's ready to help us win, uh, then we need to be willing to let him do that. And I, I think Alex and the staff have done a great job of putting guys in spots to succeed. Sometimes that might mean having someone down lower in the lineup. Sometimes it might mean hitting them higher, uh, using them in different ways. That's always what, what, you know, I think a good manager and a good coaching staff are trying to do. And you're seeing it uh, come to come to fruition on the field. I'm your team leads the American league East. As we take this by a, a game and a half, uh, you have among the best record in baseball, certainly in the American league. And, and I would think that, um, while you may have been more optimistic than others, uh, it, it's probably a fair bet to say that the team has to date exceeded even your expectations. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but given where you are and how well this team has played through the first three and a half months, how much of what you do in the next 10 days is, uh, is determined by sort of an obligation to reward the players and staff in the clubhouse or how well they have played through the first 90 something games? Yeah, it's a really good question. Our clubhouse and supporting the group, something we think a lot about. Um, look, our highest obligation is always to the organization, to our fans and to the bigger goals that we have. I don't think we're doing anybody a favor. Like I said earlier, if we won 80 from those goals, 
uh, for short-term gratification. Um, but every chance to win a championship is precious. And the way that the group has played, you know, you mentioned our expectations coming into the season. We believe strongly we are going to be competitive. We believe we are going to be interesting. And we had a lot of upside. Uh, you know that the season can go different ways and, you know, different things can impact that, the performance of players on the field, health, uh, just the bounces that the game gives you. And so to be in this position, that's not something we take lightly. And I think not just for, for the clubhouse, but for our own sake, for the organization, you know, if we have a, a chance to win a championship, I think, you know, we ought to honor that chance. We just need to make sure we're doing it in a way that, that doesn't ultimately undermine the biggest thing that we owe our fans, which is a chance to do this every year. You know, I'm, you brought up the word interesting. The team is an interesting team. And uh, they're a fun team to watch. And I think we went through a couple seasons there where they really weren't uh, after 18, 19 wasn't a fun team to watch. Certainly last year, it wasn't at all. Um, you know, to me, it's guys like uh, Kike Hernandez and Verdugo and maybe a guy like, uh, like Duran who can come up and, and spark some things just because of the way he plays. Like you said, he doesn't have to do anything different, but are those the ways that you think this team is more interesting, a little more spirit, a little more personality? I think that's definitely helped. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's interesting to me that you bring that up because even from day one in spring training, I, I think you could feel a difference. I certainly could. And especially knowing what it felt like last year to play through a pandemic, knowing we were going to be doing that again this year, I didn't know what to expect from the group when I came into spring training. And whether it was some of the guys who have been here, who've been all the way to the top of the mountain wearing a Red Sox uniform, uh, or some of the new guys that we brought in, uh, there was a unified sense of purpose that I could feel walking around Fort Myers. Uh, and it was really great. I have no doubt in my mind, Alex Core is a huge part of that. But I, I don't think we should take credit away from the players themselves, uh, from the players who have been here, uh, kind of picking themselves up off the mat uh, from, uh, you know, from the debacle of last year and the disappointment of really the last couple of years. And then players new to the organization coming in and, you know, being open, uh, and being willing to be who they, who they are in a new clubhouse. That's not something you take for granted. I know with veteran players, it should be easier, but you're still talking about guys who are moving around to a new organization and trying to feel their way through it. Uh, everyone seemed to gel. Everyone seemed to bond. And, you know, I think that's a big reason why we are where we are. On trades don't happen in a vacuum. It's, it's more than talent and trading player for prospect. There's also an economic aspect to all of this. Given the economy in the game and no fans at all last year, limited fans to start, how much does that play into what you can and cannot do in the next week and a half? And then the matter of the first CBT threshold, uh, which you are dangerously close to, um, how much wiggle room is there for you in terms of bringing in players who are making some money? Yeah, really good questions. Just take the first one first. You know, obviously it's been a really rough couple of years for the industry. I think we were fortunate coming off of last year, which was a devastating year uh, that our ownership, uh, you know, gave us the resources to go out and invest in the club and, and bring in all the guys that we brought in, both via free agency, via trade. Uh, that wasn't the case everywhere. Um, it, it, it speaks to the competitive fire of our ownership that they were, um, you know, willing to do that and eager to do it. Uh, you know, this year obviously has not been a normal year financially for, for the Red Sox, but no question the way that uh, things opened up a little earlier than anticipated, I think has made that picture a, a little bit less bad, I would say, than it otherwise would have been. And bottom line, 
you know, I think this group has proven over the last two decades, they want to win. The resources are always there uh, for the Boston Red Sox to win. It's never been an issue for baseball operations and it hasn't been an issue this year. Now, as far as the CBT is concerned, uh, you know, there's certainly no, no mandate to stay under it. I just think as part of our jobs, it's something we have to factor in. You know, it isn't just um, the finances of it, but there are other implications to being over the line that like it or not impact us competitively. And if we don't factor those in, then I think we're, we're just being foolhardy. Uh, but that doesn't mean they have to govern everything. We just need to value them properly and, uh, you know, make sure that we're putting the right value on them and weighing that against the opportunities that are out there. You know, I think we made a promise we wouldn't keep you here very long. We certainly appreciate the time. I just wanted to say how much uh, I've appreciated you being around. I think you're very respectful of the game. You understand the game. You, you know, I think you take many, many factors into consideration before you do anything, which is something that a guy in your position must do. And as I said before, some of the moves that have been made since you've been around are, have been pretty astute when you think about it and, and uh, has really built this team into what it is right now. Well, I appreciate that, Steve. It's really kind of you to say, um, you know, certainly we've been fortunate to uh, get some good outcomes on some of these moves. We're not going to get them all right. Uh, you know, this game is, is harder than that. Um, but you know, the way I was raised in the game was basically to look at this as this game is bigger than all of us. Uh, we are all just passing through it and, uh, we need to respect it. And, and I'll tell you what, if you don't respect the game, the game will make you, uh, respect it because it is a very humbling business. So hopefully we can continue to think through things well, uh, and, uh, continue to get good outcomes and wins on the field and, uh, and, and hopefully push ourselves, you know, more and more towards a postseason spot. Fox Chief Baseball Officer Heim Bloom has been gracious enough to give us some time today on This Is Our Effing Podcast, The Red Sox Show, Episode 12. Heim, I know you have things to do. We'll let you go. Thank you again for your time, and hopefully we can do this again sometime in the future. Thanks. Sounds good, guys. Thank you. It was fun chatting. Heim Bloom, Red Sox Chief Baseball Officer, joining us here on This Is Our Effing Podcast. Um, uh, Steve, um, some interesting uh, information from Heim in terms of, you know, balancing what has to be done, uh, some of the things that go into the decision making. And you know that, as he said to our first question, that even though there are some tough calls coming up here in the next week and a half, he'd much rather be weighing those than where he was a year ago when he's auctioning off Kevin Pillar, Keith Hembry, uh, Brandon Workman, Mitch Moreland. Now, some of those trades yielded some pretty good prospects and have already paid dividends, as, as you noted. But it's nice to be in a position to be looking to get better rather than unloading things and looking down the road. Yeah, and he's in an odd position, too. I mean, coming from an organization that had to pinch their pennies, certainly the Red Sox are not that same situation. Uh, you know, he's been around long enough now to kind of figure out, you know, what he can and can't do with the resources that he has. But what I really – I mean, he's, he's, he's a pretty impressive guy. There's no question about that. Um, but what I really liked is when he said that we need to look at everybody. We, we, we're not – you know – Oh, and, you know, I alluded to it, uh, that pitching is, is probably first on their list, whether it's another starter. You still have Chris Sale coming back. Not sure if he's going to be starting right away. Um, and maybe some help in the bullpen. 
just to elongate it a little bit. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's going to look at every available player, which to me is an important, smart move to make. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, the, the natural question, I think, for those of us on the outside is to look at a roster and say, okay, where are they deficient? Where do they need to improve? Uh, because usually that's the methodology that gets used when teams are making trades, right? You're going up to address weaknesses to make yourself better. But I thought it was fascinating that he said that, you know, they might add to something uh, that is already a strength. Maybe the, the asking price for that bullpen piece or a left-handed first baseman, both of which could be considered needs for this team is so great that they don't feel it's worth it. But, you know, we could maybe add another bat off the bench or here's a pretty good starting pitcher uh, that we can get for below market value in our eyes. So even though it, it's not a huge area of need, um, as he noted, maybe there are injuries between July 30th and, you know, the 1st of September and where you look to be pretty uh, well stocked in an area now you might not be in a couple of weeks so uh, it is smart to sort of keep every possibility open and not limit your scope when you're trying to do this yeah and right after that he said you guys know everybody needs more pitching you know you never have enough of it so I'm sure that's an area that they're they're certainly going to consider and and probably go after um, the left-handed hitting first baseman pretty good idea as well uh, whether or not there's one of those guys out there is, is, you know, remains to be seen as far as if they're available. But you're, you're right. I mean, things happen. Guys get hurt. And you and I have talked about this a lot, that they, they do and they have been relying on guys that have a track record of being injured. And so far, so good. But it's a long second half, even though it's not quite half the games. You know, a lot of things can happen in the second half as guys start to wear down. What about, um, you know, one of the names that has surfaced? Uh, and initially, I thought it might be something that would interest the Red Sox. But, you know, the more I talk to people around the game, I could I, I, I surprised, certainly, in the next week and a half. But it, it kind of feels like the Red Sox are looking to, you know, add around the edges of the roster. Um, there's no huge hole here. Could they... Upgrade the, the rotation, sure. But they need to use another reliever, absolutely. A left-handed first baseman. I just don't think they're going to be in on some of the big names that are going to require them, you know, giving up a top 10 prospect to get it. But I'm interested on your thoughts about a guy like Anthony Rizzo, who, of course, was originally a Red Sox farmhand, a draft pick out of Florida, uh, who was used in the deal to get the Red Sox Adrian Gonzalez a number of years ago. He has since gone on to a, a great career with the Cubs. One was part of that World Series winning team, but is now a free agent to be. Um, what are your thoughts on Rizzo? How much he has left and how might he fit in here? Well, I think it could be an excellent addition because you can look at him as a rental, right? If he's going to go off and be a free agent, number one, you don't have to spend as much to get him. Number two, you don't have to negotiate another deal with him to keep him around, depending on whether you want to or not. And if you want to let him walk, he can do that. So, I, you know, I, I think he still has a lot in the tank to offer, um, especially, you know, coming to a team that's, that's 
as hot as the Red Sox have been, you know, you, you get new life, you put a new shirt on, all of a sudden you're involved with a different group of guys that think they can win. And I, I think it would be a good piece. And, you know, it kind of goes back to what Heim was saying is like, you know, he doesn't really have to add any big names, although Rizzo would be one, uh, because this team's in first place. If they're in third place, and you talked about the composition of the clubhouse and how they feel, if you're in third place and you need to make a run, everyone in that clubhouse is thinking, man, we need some help here. How can we get some help? And then if you don't help them out, the guys in the clubhouse sort of feel let down, like the management doesn't want to win or the ownership doesn't want to win. They don't want to do anything to help us. The Red Sox are not in that situation. So, sure, would they like to add something? Yeah, but could they go down the stretch with who they have right now and still be competitive? I think they've shown that they can. Uh, it's it remained to be seen if they will. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that you can almost guarantee is that they will get a piece for the because, um, you know, every year, any team that has designs on the postseason, whether it's trying to get one of the wild cards and trying to sneak in the door or whether you view yourself as an actual World Series contender, uh, it, it seems that it, it, it's incumbent upon those teams to it, go get at least one more bullpen piece. You know, maybe it's a sixth or seventh inning guy. And, and really, you know, when you look at how well Barnes has performed in the closing role, how Ottavino has been as the primary setup guy, how Taylor has been as another high leverage lefty, they don't need, you know, that Craig Kimbrell. They don't need a, a, a difference maker out there. You almost always go get somebody that can get you two or three outs with a game on the line. And, and I would almost guarantee that they would, uh, by the end of business on July 30th, have at least one new reliever as part of that. Run. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. That's, that's kind of where uh, the need would be. That's kind of where uh, people are available. And, and let's face it, you can shake up the apple cart a little bit too much. You know, if you have a team that gets along and they're winning ball games and they're heading in the right direction and maybe you're looking for a little bit of an addition to help things along, great but do you go out and sign a, a a frontline closer and then all of a sudden Barnes is going wait a minute didn't I do my job and then Ottavino saying wait how's that going to change what I'm doing mm -hmm. you know you can add pieces that 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 can be the to the detriment of your team that doesn't help because you're messing with the clubhouse chemistry uh, before we wrap up, Steve, we have yet another Yankee series on tap, having just completed one in New York over the weekend that did not go as the Red Sox had planned. Um, Sox took the opener in the Bronx, which was delayed 24 hours because of a, a uh, COVID outbreak uh, on the part of the Yankees and some contact tracing and testing that had to go on and players coming in to to replace players going on the COVID IL. Uh, after the Red Sox won the first one, the Yankees surprisingly came back and took the series. Um, and, uh, you know, it seemed to me that that was an opportunity to really kind of kick the Yankees when they were down. They're short five guys. They're not playing well to begin with. I, I wonder what a sweep of them would have meant to both the Yankees' uh, morale and really the math and the standings in any event, it didn't happen, but there's another opportunity to do that this weekend with a four-game series. Sweeps are hard. Four-game sweeps are almost impossible. 
But if the Red Sox took three out of four, that would be picking up two games net in the standings, likely move the Yankees back double figures behind the Red Sox. So maybe they're still a wild card contender, but a team that the Red Sox really don't have to worry about. They can focus more on Toronto and Tampa Bay. Uh, can the Red Sox put the Yankees away on a second try this weekend? Yeah, I mean, you know, you're, it was disappointing considering you you felt like you were playing against the AAA Yankees and weren't able to get a series victory out of that. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's still too early to me to say that they would get kicked to the curb totally, but there is a there's there's a mental issue when you get behind double digits. If you're eight games back, you know, all you have to do, you know, you go on a five game winning streak, you can get it down to three or two. Uh, you know, if you're 10 games back, it's that extra digit in there where you're just like, well, what do we do to make up this many games when we're already in the second half of the season and we're still playing the teams that keeps kicking us around. So, yeah, I think if they win three out of four, they can really get rid of the Yankees as far as they're concerned. But I don't know that the Yankees will really go away as far as the standings are concerned. I still think that they probably have one good run in them left. I don't think that they're going to put their tail between their legs and just go away. But as far as the Red Sox are concerned, they're basically saying, look, we dominate you guys. We're going to dominate you every time we see you. And so you go ahead and try to make up in the standings against someone else because it ain't going to be against us. Should be fun either way, as it always is when the Red Sox and Yankees get together. And uh, when we re- when we reconvene next week, Steve, we'll just be days away from the trade deadline. Maybe there'll be some moves that are made in advance. But we'll have plenty to talk about, as we always do here on This Is Our Effing Podcast, a Red Sox show with your co-hosts, Sean McAdam and Steve Lyons. And we want to extend our great thanks again to Red Sox Chief Baseball Officer Haim Bloom for taking some time to talk about the upcoming deadline and some other issues with us. We'll try to line up another guest for you next week. And Steve, we'll talk to you then, too. All right. That was a great get, by the way, on your part, getting Haim. It was a lot of fun, and hopefully we can uh, do that again with Haim sometime in the future and have some more guests coming up. Please, if you enjoy the show, rate and review it, tell your friends about it, and we'll see you here next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.